we are now finishing up these these visions, these eight visions that Zechariah has been having in one evening. And when we speak about visions and any of these scriptures in the Minor Prophets, one of the things that I want to know is, when do these things take place? There needs to be real understanding when we're talking about these visions. It's easy to get very lost, to read them and say, those are very nice. I think I have some understanding of what these visions are talking about, I think. But rooting them in history, understanding the historical context is so important. Understanding how they not only have meaning for Israel, but also for the church, is absolutely vital. Let me just say a word here very quickly about Israel. These texts and these visions are about Jerusalem. They're about Judea. They're about the nation of Israel. They're about the ethnic people of Israel. They were then, and they still are today. They are about an actual group of people. We need to be very careful that we don't spiritualize these texts and get in and begin to make them talk about something or speak to something that they're actually not speaking to. When the Bible talks about Israel, it actually means Israel. When the Bible says that there's a plan for Israel, it actually means that there's a plan still today for national Israel. In other words, what's going on in Israel today and what is going to take place in Israel in the future actually matters. The prophets speak about it. We need to be careful not to begin to minimize that or begin to actually say that the text is talking about something else. If the curses for Israel were literal, if God says, listen, Israel, you need to obey, and if you don't obey, I'm going to take you from your land. If those curses were literal, then so are the blessings. We can't say that the curses were literal, and then when we get to the blessings that God is going to reestablish Jerusalem, that he's going to reestablish Israel, that somehow all of a sudden that means the church. No, no, we need to be asking ourselves this question. Did God really come in judgment and in discipline to the nation to ethnic Israel, and if he did, and the answer is yes, then the blessings are also going to come literally. This is exciting because it means what is going on in our world actually matters. There is a God, and he's the same God of all time. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ in Hebrews is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
So when we bow our heads and when we begin to pray and we say, oh God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we get, begin to really get a hold of God, we are praying to the same exact God that Adam prayed to. No different. We are praying to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He does not change. The same Bibles that we hold in our hands are the same scriptures that were produced over thousands of years, and now we've had them for thousands of years, the same exact text. So if the curses on ethnic Israel are literal, then the blessings and the fulfillment of the blessings are also literal. But if we begin to spiritualize about Israel, if we begin to come to these texts and say, well, I know it's talking about Jerusalem, but it's not really talking about Jerusalem. If we come to these texts and say, we understand it's talking about Israel, but it's not really talking about Israel. We begin to spiritualize things about Israel, among other things. We ignore the plain meaning of the scripture. John Calvin said it this way. He said, the plain meaning of the text is the meaning of the text. And so oftentimes we get confused as we scratch our heads. We go, what is this actually saying? There's got to be some secret, hidden, deeper meaning to what is going on. No, no. So if we spiritualize uh, things about Israel and other things, we ignore the plain meaning and are in grave danger of coming up with interpretations that simply come out of our own head. And by the way, this happens often with the minor prophets. Somebody will read a a text from the minor prophets, and then all of a sudden they, thus says the Lord, and they get up and they begin to get, give some kind of interpretation that has absolutely nothing to do with the text. And people are still wondering, what does the text actually mean? What is it actually saying? Is it really saying what that guy just said, that he saw this thing, he had this vision of what this means, and that's what it's to mean for us today, and we're all kind of confused. And another person says, well, I've read the text, and the Spirit of God has impressed this upon my heart, and I think this is what it means. And we get lost in this gray confusion of what does the text actually mean? What does Zechariah mean by these visions? What is he actually saying to us? Is it for us to simply say, yeah, we learned about a bowl, I think, and some oil today, and we think there's some meaning there, but we're not sure. Colossians chapter 2, if you flip in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, has a very strong word about just making up things, even with regard to uh, biblical teaching. And not to make things up. And not to be airheaded in our interpretation of the scripture. Paul says in um, Colossians 2 verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. You ever talk to somebody that just always have a vision about this and a vision about this and a word about this and a word about that? Be very careful. Puffed up without reason by his 
sensuous mind. So we find if these texts are actually speaking about Israel, they are talking about Israel. Yet we also find in these passages instruction to the church. In these passages in Zechariah, we actually find instruction for the church. The Holy Spirit's intention was not only that these texts refer to national or ethnic Israel, but portions are directed at the church as well. So what we are saying is that portions of these prophecies that we find in the book of Zechariah are not only for Israel, they're for Israel, but there's another meaning as well that was intended by the Holy Spirit to be there that is directed at the church. That is to say, we do not only find application for the church, but we correctly discern the Holy Spirit is meaning for portions of these texts. We understand what he is saying and what he is aiming at, what the Holy Spirit is speaking. When we say that they are aimed at and partially fulfilled in the church. So some of these texts, we go, wait a second. We understand this is about Israel. We get that. It's about Israel. We're going to talk about that. But we also say to ourselves, wow, this sounds very familiar. This sounds like it's not only talking about Israel. It is talking about Israel. But is it only speaking of Israel? And the scripture is clear that fulfillment is not only found in Israel, final fulfillment is found in Israel, but that portions of these texts are actually partially fulfilled in the church. We may say this confidently because of what we read in the New Testament. So we're not left out. So when we read these different visions in Zechariah, we say, okay, we understand that this is for national ethnic Israel, but it goes beyond that. It's not only speaking to national ethnic Israel and the future and the future millennium, these things that it is speaking to, but it is also speaking to us in the church. And we see this as we go through these eight beautiful visions. In fact, there's this beautiful progression, this map of history as we're reading these visions that are actually happening in real time. The first vision was about a world patrol, this patrol from the Lord going out and saying, what is going on in the world at that time in 520 B.C.? The patrol comes back and says the whole world is at rest while Israel lies in ruins. The second vision was about retribution, punishment to the world powers that had come against Israel. These massive world powers that had been set up by God and each one would come crumbling down. Then there was a vision that there would be the reestablishment of Jerusalem. So what are we talking about? We are actually talking about real ethnic Jerusalem. And we see the reestablishment of that partially in that day. 
but we are waiting for its final fulfillment in the millennium. That is the thousand-year reign of Christ when Jesus Christ comes back and he rules from a cleansed Jerusalem, the center of the earth. In the future, Jerusalem. Not some kind of spiritual thing that we're not able to understand, but an actual Jerusalem in the world, in Israel, will be reestablished. It will be the center of the earth. It will be the center of the millennium. And then Zechariah talked about the restoration of the priesthood. This restoration of the priesthood would come by imputation we talked about. The priests would be restored. How would they be restored when their garments were filthy? They would be restored because they would be given the righteous garments of another, namely the garments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9. This precious text, he has been talking about how he is going to restore the priesthood. And in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, it says, For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And here's this beautiful prophetic word. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. How's that going to be fulfilled? It would be fulfilled in part and based upon Calvary. How would sin be removed in a single day? Well, when Christ would come and on the cross, he would remove sin in a single day. The weight of the world was pressed on his shoulders. The world's sin laid upon him. The darkness of evil. History's culmination, the cross and the resurrection. Oh yes, this is talking about something even future when he removes iniquity from the land in Israel right before the millennium and stretching into the millennium. But it is all based upon this precious word to us of the cross, of Christ's death for us on our behalf. So we see this historical progression. We see that there was this world patrol. We then go all the way up to the cross and then we saw that in this next vision, there would be a renewal of the people. That Israel would be a light to the world. They were a light in part then, but in the future, they will again be a light to the entire world as Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over Jerusalem. And so we looked at last week this, this bowl of oil that was feeding this super menorah. And on the side of the bowl were these two olive trees. And we never actually defined what those olive trees were. So if you go to chapter 4 of Zechariah, verse 11, so you have these menorahs around this bowl. This bowl is being fed with oil from these two trees. And we said that the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. And Zechariah is wondering, he's saying, what, are, what do these two trees mean? See this bowl in the center, and I see it feeding these menorahs with, with oil. I get that, but there's two trees on either side. They are feeding this, this bowl with oil. 
this perpetual abundant supply of the Holy Spirit, what are these two trees? He says that in verse 11. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Verse 14 gives the answer. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones. Who are the two anointed ones? Well, they represent Zerubbabel, the kingly governor of Judea. And they also represent Joshua, the high priest. So these are the two that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So you have these two trees. And the one tree represents this kingly function. And the other one represents this high priestly function. Now think about this for just a second. You have these two trees. You have a kingly function. And you have a priestly function. And what are those two trees doing? They are supplying oil for Israel to be a light to the world. Who was it who would perfectly unite these two offices, the kingly office and the high priestly office, in one person? It's Jesus. That's what this is ultimately pointing to. These two trees are representative of the offices of Christ, the fact that he is our great high priest, the fact that he is our ultimate king. You say, well, where do you see this in Scripture? Why don't you go to Psalm chapter 110. Psalm chapter 110. Psalm chapter 110, verse 1 says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. That is the indicator of kingship. This person is a king. Who is this? This is King Jesus. You have a mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. Then it not only talks about this kingly function, but it also talks about this priestly function of the Lord Jesus in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Here it is. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. So this text is not only talking about the end of the age when Israel would be a light. But it's also partially fulfilled in the church. When Jesus who fulfills both the office of priest and king, is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. And he gives the Holy Spirit. That's what this text is teaching. He gives the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we become a radiating, burning light for the truth. It's a beautiful picture. Two olive trees representative of Christ, Christ, the baptizer, the giver of the Holy Spirit. And we are the people who are to be set ablaze, set ablaze, set ablaze, set ablaze for Jesus. And this is why when we come to this, we say, Lord, we understand ultimately this text is going to be fulfilled in Israel. 
someday, Lord, you're going to rule and you're going to reign in the millennium. We get that. Lord, someday you're going to bring your people back. There's been a there's been a partial hardening that has come upon Israel right now. We understand that. But someday, God, you're going to bring your people back and they are going to be this blazing light in the center of the universe, in the center of this world. But Lord, we see something more than that going on as well. Lord, that's not all the Holy Spirit intended for us to get from this text is just to say, okay, here's what we get from the text. Israel is going to be brought back to the land. Okay, now let's close our Bibles. That is true. That's absolutely what the text is about. But it's also about Christ's coming and giving those who believe the Holy Spirit so that we are blazes for him, on fire for the Lord. How does that start? How do we get on fire for the Lord? Well, we start by just saying, Lord, I, I and by the way, this is a, a risky prayer. But it's just saying, Lord, I, I start by just saying, Lord, I, I want to blaze for you. God, I, my heart is, it's not being fulfilled in the things of these, in the things of this world. God, I, I recognize that the end of my life is not just about the here and now. God, I'm coming to you. And I'm asking you, you're the one who has the Spirit without measure, and you're the one who gives the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you with a hungry heart that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. And when a person begins to do that, and they say, Lord, I repent of my sins. God, crush the idolatry in my life. Crush all the things in my life that are not of you. God, get rid of all the worldliness. God, get rid of all the things that are, that are not matching up to the Word of God. God, I, my soul, my, my hunger's for you. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's getting on your face before the Lord and just saying, Lord, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And we continue to come back to him. And this is why the Bible says to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why there's this perpetual supply of olive oil that represents the Holy Spirit. Because he just doesn't give us one filling and say, okay, you're, you're done for the rest of your life. But he gives us the Holy Spirit when we first believe, but then he continues to fill us over and over and over again. And the older we get, the more passionate we should become about the things of God. The more hungry we should get for his word. We shouldn't, we shouldn't get to a place in life and say, well, I accepted Jesus Christ 10 years ago, therefore, therefore I'm fine, I'm okay. No, no. The older we get, the more tender we get before the Lord. The, the more we say, Lord, in your priestly and your kingly, Rule and reign, God, fill me. We live right now in the age of the Spirit. The age of the Spirit. The Spirit has come. The Spirit has come. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Never since that day, anybody who says, Oh God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for you. I'm, I'm looking for you, Lord. You will give the Holy Spirit to, and you will become a, a radiant a blazing light for, for the truth. So when is this going to be fulfilled? Well, it's ultimately going to be fulfilled in the future, but it also has a direct meaning for us today. And then Zechariah closes with three visions that are sobering. So we see this progression. We see this beautiful progression. We see the cross. Sin was dealt with in one day. 
we see the giving of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Zechariah is preaching and he's prophesying about all these things hundreds of years before the Lord comes. He says, first of all, sin is going to be dealt with in one day. Then he has another vision after that that talks about the Holy Spirit. Is that just a coincidence? No, no, it's not a coincidence. It's given there by genius. The Holy Spirit is genius. He's not a genius. He's genius. Just like when um, Jesus comes and says, I, I am the truth. He doesn't say, I am a truth. I am a way. No, no, he doesn't say, I am a truth or a way or a life. He comes in John 14, verse 6, and he says, I am the truth. I am the personification. You want to find truth, you need to look at me. Well, the Holy Spirit is genius. Only the Holy Spirit could write through a servant of God the words of these texts and get it so precisely right so that we say, this is glorious. This is beautiful. How did you get these visions in order in this historical map so that we can go from this world patrol all the way through the cross? We understand you're talking in this beautiful progression. Listen, just this, just the beauty of this text alone should make us worship. Go, ah, look at what we're seeing here. Look at what we're finding in the text of Scripture. This is so beautiful that the cross would come. Sin would be dealt with in one day. Then there would be this vision of the giving of the Holy Spirit by the kingly priestly one, the one who comes not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. This is glorious. And he's not only a high priest, but he also is in the line of Zerubbabel, in the line of David, a king. How beautiful and how majestic is this, the giving of the Spirit. And here we live today in the age of the Spirit. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss the Holy Spirit. Listen, you don't want to waste your life. You don't want to waste it on all sorts of things, listen, that don't matter. They don't matter. And so we come before the Lord and we say, God, I want my life to count. I want it to count. Lord, I'm going to stand before you someday. And are you going to be grieved as you look at my life as a Christian and say, look at all the wasted time. Look at the wasted time. This is why the Bible says, soften your heart. It's about holiness. This is not for the religious elite out there. This isn't for the saints in the cathedral. No, no. This is for anybody who's hungry. Anybody who's hungry and thirst. Anybody who looks at this text and says, I love this. I'm not bored. See, if you look at this text and you go, well, I guess that's kind of interesting, bowls and oil and stuff, but what's for dinner? You've missed everything. If that's your heart. It's time to repent of your hard, hard, hard heart. What's on TV? Should I, should I check Facebook? So there's this renewal of the people. This giving of the Holy Spirit. And this age is going to come to a close. It's going to come to a close. 
and this is the time to get in. This is, this is the time to get in right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day. So I want, I, want to, I want to get in. Listen, there's been many, many people even in this church that have already gone on, some to glory, some to glory. Crystal's phone, when it goes off in the morning, her alarm is set to the song, When I Wake Up in the Land of Glory. I wake up every morning and I go, am I there? When I wake up in the land of glory, with the saints I will tell my story. So Zechariah has this progression going on. Now he, he's, he's looked at this historical map, and now he's taking us to the future. So when we look at these next three visions quickly, we're going to say and we're going to see that they, they are pointing for us still for the future, not only for him for the future. Yes, there was partial fulfillment in his day. That's true. But ultimately, these next three visions are about the future, even the future for us, which means he was looking 2,500 years ago past 2,500 years. That's a long time. So here he is, he's prophesying, but he's not just prophesying for 520 and 516, the completion of the temple, but he's also prophesying for 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later and beyond until the return of Christ. And he gives us a very sobering look at the future. Look with me here at this first vision in chapter 5, which is really the sixth vision of the night. Chapter 5, verse 1, And again I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. So think about this, this open scroll. In fact, it um, gives us the exact measurements in verse 2. By the way, the measurements are the exact measurements of the holy place in the temple and in the sanctuary. So there's something to be said for that. These, these measurements are the exact measurements for the holy place, and it's this open word, this open scroll, and it's, it's huge. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I said, I, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. And he said to me, this is the curse that goes over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. So listen, on one side of the scroll, some have guessed that the Ten Commandments were on these sides, just like the Ten Commandments written, the law was given on two sides. But on one side is dealing with everyone who is, says uh, verse 3, then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land for everyone who steals. So everyone who steals is reading this scroll, and it's evident that at this time there were people in Israel who were dealing with the sin of theft. But well, we need not say that it's only going to be these two commands. There are all these commands, but these are two commands that are representative of the sins that they were dealing with. And the first command that they were sinning and doing wrong was stealing. Anytime we take something that is not ours, we're stealing. So he says, everyone shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. That is those who steal. 
And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. So everyone who lies and who says, oh, yes, that's true, and they know it's not true. The Bible says when, as believers, that we are to speak the truth to one another. We're to speak the truth. So there's two sins here that the scroll is, is opened up. It's flying over the land. It's dealing predominantly here with two sins, the sin of stealing and the sin of lying. And everyone who is given over to these sins shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief. Even into the people's homes, they say, well, I'll hide in my home. I'll steal in my home. I'll not tell anyone. No, no. In the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the house and consume it, both timber and stones. He's saying that there's going to be a cleaning out. What is this talking about? In the future, right before Jesus comes back, he is going to clean out national Israel. He's going to clean them out. There is a removal here of unrighteousness. So right before the end, before Jesus comes, as he is regathering national and ethnic Israel, he is going to purge sin from their midst. And this is why in the millennium when he rules and he reigns over Israel, he will be ruling and reigning over a clean Israel, over one that is pure, over an Israel that is holy, one that loves the law of God. Not because they're just told to love the law of God, but because it's coming from their heart. So this, the, there's this future fulfillment of what he's talking about here. But there is direction for us here as the church. And that is God wants to remove unrighteousness even from the church. He's not only going to remove unrighteousness in the future from Israel, but his holy aim is to have a clean and pure church. A church that really believes the things that we read about here in the scriptures. A church that really says, I, I want to live for Jesus. And the warning here is, be careful, because here we are, we're living in the age of the Spirit, but we're also living during a time where the Lord says, I will clean out the church because it is my church. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. First Peter chapter 4, if you flip over there in your Bibles. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says this. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, listen carefully. This is not, this is not a, a judgment of retribution for the church. This is not a judgment of punishment in that sense. But it's a judgment of purification, God making his church pure, God making his church holy, God making his church cleansed. So that when we come, it's not a joke, it's not just a bunch of people gathering together, but it's a gathering of saints who say we want to be like Christ. A removal 
a removal of unrighteousness. So this is not a judgment of retribution, but it's a judgment of purification. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. The scripture says this, God judges those outside, 1 Corinthians 5.13, God judges those outside, purge the evil person, purge the evil person from among you. Sobering words. So before he comes, he's going to purge Israel, and he is continually, even to this day, he is purging his church. Then there's a second vision, the sobering vision. Look with me back at Zechariah chapter 5. A vision of a woman in a basket. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is this? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the laden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back in the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. Uh, by the way, these women are not godly women. These are demonic women. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket. By the way, the stork was an unclean animal. So they lift up this basket with this woman in it who represents sin and iniquity. God is removing it through these storks up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, the land of Shinar to, be, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. What is God doing here? Well, before he comes again, he's going to remove not only persons who are ungodly, but he's going to remove worldliness and the worldly system from Israel. As this world continues, it continues to get more and more corrupt. It is worldly to the core. And so God says, listen, before I come, I'm going to purge evil persons who are covenant breakers. I'm going to purge them. And I'm also going to purge this whole system. I'm going to remove it. There's going to be this massive war before he comes. And surrounding Israel will be this system of materialism. Stuff. And God says, before I come, I'm going to purge the worldliness from them. I'm going to purge the persons who are not following the covenant. And I'm also going to purge worldly, materialistic, commercial-like thinking. I'm going to purge that whole system. And then he's going to come. Then he's going to come. Oh, what a day it's going to be when he comes. A day of glory for those who know him. A day of great, great judgment for those who don't. He's taking this basket to Shinar, which is a part of Babylon. This doesn't mean actual Babylon in the future, but it is representative of a corrupt and evil worldly system. Can I say this very quickly, and then we're, we're going to close. You and I are surrounded, listen, by unbelievers who think like the world, have the world's values, 
watch worldly things, listen to worldly things, have worldly talk, do worldly stuff. This should be sobering to us because what it's saying is when, when God comes, what he's going to do is he's going to, right before he comes, he's going to purge all of this in the future from Israel. But he's also purging this from the church. And this is why there are people who come in and say, listen, they're actually, they're actually serious there. They talk about repentance. They talk about true belief in Christ. They believe all this stuff. They talk about giving up worldly thinking, worldly living, all of these different things. And then they leave. The question we have to ask ourselves is, Lord, what about me? Lord, what about me? Am I like Lot's wife who's always looking back at the things of the world? The things of the world. I'm moving in this direction, but I'm always looking back. The worldly system, I long for it. I love it. Is there a heart that says, oh God, remove this stuff far from me like this woman who's in this basket? The last vision is the final end of the time map, and that is when judgment finally falls. You have a judgment of purification in the church, listen, but you have a judgment of retribution to the Gentile nations. And we even see a foretaste of that in our nation today. Our nation is currently, we are a Gentile nation. You say, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who's a non-Jew. We are a Gentile nation. We have a foretaste of what is going on. We see the purging within the church. That's a different kind of judgment. But we have a judgment upon nations that say we are not going to follow the Lord. We're not going to bow the knee. And finally, judgment will fall. This this period of time will come to an end. Look with me at chapter 6. We close with this. After I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between the two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses. Perhaps they symbolize war and bloodshed. The second, black horses. By the way, there's a very similar text. It's not exact in Revelation chapter 6. Very similar to this. Second, black horses. Perhaps famine. The third, white horses. Maybe victory. The fourth, dappled horses. Perhaps representing death. All of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. That's Babylon. The white horses, the white ones go after them. And the dappled ones go toward the south country. That would be Egypt. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. And he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Why is his spirit set at rest? Because this time it's not just a patrol. Judgment has fallen on the earth. And so Zechariah has taken us here through, through the visions, through a, a snapshot of history. We don't know all the dates of this because many of these dates are still to be fulfilled. But we know this. 
We know according to this text as preached in the Old Testament, and Jesus, when he preached, he opened up the Old Testament, and he said, see this text, it's about me, according to Luke 24. See this text, it's about me. Jesus didn't have the New Testament to open up. So when he opened up Scripture, he was pointing out the Old Testament Scripture. So he comes and he says, see this text in Zechariah? Sin is going to be dealt with in one day. That's about me. That's about me coming and dying on the cross for your sins. You see this thing about the light and the super menorah and this bowl filled with oil? That's ultimately about me because I'm the light of the world and I'm the one who produces and gives the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can be a blazing light. And then he says, be careful because you live in the age of the Spirit, but it's also an age of purging, just like I will purge Israel before I come. And ultimately, after that purging, will come final judgment on the whole earth. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. So be ready, because this is not a game. This is not a fairy tale. This is the history of the world given to us by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Zechariah. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, we pray for our, our, our time together. I pray today that these, these scriptures that we have read and that we have talked about Pray, Lord, that they would sink deep into our ears. Lord, I pray you'd wake us up in the middle of the night. I pray for a response to these things, a heart response, even as we talked about earlier, the heart going after you, the affections going after you. Jesus, we ask you that you would just... Fill us to overflowing in this wonderful day of the Spirit that we live in. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on us, we pray. Breathe on us, we pray. Breathe on us, we pray. Send us, God, we pray, to Wilkes Bear. Send us to the nations. God, enable us to tell people about Jesus. Help us to understand that time is running short. God, help us not to play around. Love not the world, neither the things in the world, you tell us in First John. Love not the world. Lord, I pray if there's things in our life, perhaps we're looking back and we're, there's deep regret. God, you have come today to forgive and to restore. And it's all because of that sacrifice that was made on that one day. Jesus, you come to set us free today. We don't have to live in the past. Lord, I pray for the one today who's just saying, you know what, I continue to struggle with that thing in the past, and I, I, I want to get things right with God. Today is the day to get right with God. For the one who's saying, I want to be holy, you can be holy because Jesus is holy. Today is the day. For the one who doesn't know Christ here, today is the day to come to Christ, to say, Lord, I come to you filthy, but I need the, the righteous garments of Christ. Pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ask Crystal to keep.